Welcome to the Creative Empire Podcast. Each week, Raina Pomeroy, the life and biz success coach, and Christina Scalera, the attorney for creatives, are taking you up close and personal with successful influencers in the creative community and tackling your biggest business hurdles. Their mission is to help you, creative entrepreneurs, think beyond your daily biz so you can make the brave decisions that build your creative empire. Welcome back to another episode of the Creative Empire Podcast. It's Raina and Christina here, and today we have a special guest. Megan Amon is a designer. She's a metalsmith and a fantastic business owner. She's got a multifaceted business around her passion for art, and we're going to be diving into this a little bit later, but about visual content creation. And in addition to running her jewelry line, she also runs Designing an MBA, where she keeps helping makers and artists create and grow their businesses. So we're really excited to have you, Megan. We're so excited to dive into this conversation and hopefully dive into all things shows and all things visual content creation. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so we were just talking about how it's been a very busy season, but before we even get to that good stuff, tell us a little bit about how you got to this place of you know having a multifaceted business. Yeah, so I actually have a BFA in metalsmithing. I went to art school. I was like, you can go to school for metalsmithing. That's so amazing. Sign me up. So I got my BFA in metalsmithing, and then I literally had no idea what to do with that. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to go get my MFA as well. Always recommend that for everyone, but it sort of was, it worked for me. It gave me sort of time to figure out my life. And so I went to school and I, you know, got my MFA and I got out of school and I knew I was either going to be like a college professor or I was going to somehow run my own business. And I was still kind of debating. And I worked in academia for a year. I had a a one-year teaching position at a university. And what I learned in that year is that I did not want to be in academia. It was just not for me. I loved teaching and I loved being a student, but I didn't love being in that space. And so I shifted and started thinking about, okay, well, how do people make money selling their jewelry and selling their craft? And so I started doing the show scene. I did some, you know, outdoor retail shows. There was a very memorable renegade that stormed when we were in a pool in Brooklyn, literally in a pool. (laughs) So there was a kind of different things like that. And then eventually I started doing trade shows and doing more wholesale with my business. And so throughout all of that, I've always, you know, I've loved the art side and I've loved the creative side and I've also loved the business side. And I got to a point in my business and I think it was maybe 2009, like late 2009. And I said to a friend of mine, I was like, you know, I feel really stuck. Maybe I should go get my MBA. And she was like, that's ridiculous. You could teach that stuff. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, it's 2009. How do you teach that stuff? Well, obviously you start a blog. Um, So that was when I started at the time it was called crafting an MBA. Now it's designing an MBA. And it was pretty natural for me. I had been blogging for my other business since 2006. So I started the blog and, and started teaching. And so since then it's been this kind of balance of working on my own business and making the jewelry and doing all that, and then turning around and helping teach and helping other people because, you know, I've had experiences in my business where I was like, man, I just wish I would have had someone that I could go to, someone that could have told me, you know, this is what's going on. Like I remember before my first trade show, I must have had like 10 fights with my husband about this or that thing. He wanted to help, but he didn't know anything and I didn't know anything. And I just, I thought like, if I can save other people this kind of headache, you know, then that's like me putting something good out into the world. So Oh, the the well-intentioned in our life. Yeah. It's cute. (laughs) 
I was just going to say, it's really fascinating that you went from, oh, I need to go get an MBA to I'm going to help other people learn what I already know. I think so many of us, I haven't had the compulsion to go get an MBA, but I have said like, oh, I wish I had more training in this. And my husband's like, wait, but you already have training in this. You know, and it's really interesting that we have to like, or we feel like we need extra credentials in order to X, Y, and Z. What was that like for you? Yeah, you know, I do think there is this thing, especially if you come from, say, like an academic place or just in general, I think we do, we feel like we need those credentials. Like I have to have hit these certain milestones in order to teach or share. But in reality, what I actually kind of looked back at it most of my teaching experience on the jewelry and metal side was never like, oh my God, I had perfected this skill or I had learned all these things and I'm teaching it. It was like, oh, hi, you're teaching this next semester. Like, go figure it out. And I realized that's actually what I do in my, in my teaching with designing an MBA and the classes I run on Creative Live because it turns out that you can have all the credentials in the world, but that doesn't make you a good teacher. And so I think that when you can say, okay, I don't need the credentials, what I need to do is understand this is how people learn. And beyond that, understand what the people you're teaching are going through. And I think that's what gives me such a unique perspective in the teaching I do on designing an MBA and on Creative Live is that I've gone through it. Like I am a maker. That is my primary business. I have this jewelry business. And so people are like, wow, you really understand your audience. And I was like, yeah, because I was there. I am them. And so I think that you know, I mean, I didn't need another degree to do that. I just needed to say, okay, this is what I know that someone else doesn't know. And how is the best way to get them that information? So what kind of information are they learning in designing an MBA? So I have a lot of classes and, you know, I've shifted a lot of my teaching. So designing an MBA is like a million blog posts. And most of the classes that I run now, I've run on Creative Live. So you can go to Creative Live and search Megan Almond and find literally, I think it's like 18 classes or something. It's a little bit insane. So a lot of the stuff is kind of very specific to the problems of a maker business. So one of my biggest classes on Creative Live is how to sell your products to retailers, because that really is a big mystery. People are like, I want to get my products in stores and I literally don't know, or I want to do my first trade show. And it seems really intimidating. And so that class really breaks down that, like how to reach out to stores, whether you want to do a trade show or not. And then if you do want to do a trade show, here's kind of all the mystery unpacked so that you're not fighting with your husband every other day until you go to a show. And then other classes that are just very specific to sort of the problems of maker businesses. So another one that I do is how to make a living selling what you make. And I always joke that that's like, that class is a lot of math, but it's the important math of really sitting down and understanding, okay, I have this product, I have this thing that I love to make, but I'm kind of scared of the numbers and I've never done this math. And like, is this even feasible? And I think that's a thing that people don't do enough is run those numbers to say like, is this actually a feasible business? And so in that class, we really do the math, but I try to make it as non-scary as possible. So it's kind of like math, then marketing. So we do a lot of math and then we actually talk about like how to get your products out in the world and how to get people to buy them. Yeah. So making a living off of the thing that you love to be making. I love exactly. That kind of like flipping it on its head. And where are people typically when they're starting or, you know, when you meet them, I guess, like what are some of the things that they're experiencing? And then like, how do they feel towards the end of that journey? Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, what I see a lot of is you have people who they learn how to make a thing. You know, I learned how to make a thing when I was in school, but more often than not, you learn how to make a thing because now like you saw a thing on the internet and you were like, that's cool. How do I make that? So you learn how to make a thing. And then some well-meaning someone in your life was like, 
that's cool. You should sell it on Etsy, right? <laughs> and so then like you start the Etsy shop and, or maybe someone was like, well, you should sell that online. So, you, you know, you start a website or big cartel shop or Shopify or whatever it is, however you're starting out, you're like, cool. I put out my shingle online and then nothing happens, right? <laughs> it's like the complete opposite. If, if you build it, they will come. It's like, if you build it, probably nothing will happen until you do some work. And so a lot of people come to me in that space. And then I think, Really, you know, my goal in working with people, another class I did was how to build a business while learning your craft, because that's like the very, very beginning, right? A lot of times you're still learning your craft. I mean, I kind of think you're learning your craft forever, but especially in the beginning, you're learning your craft, but there's this pressure to make money, whether that's from friends or family or just this general society pressure of you made this, put it on Etsy. And so what I do in that class, and I think what's so important is to look at this idea that there's not one right way to run a business, right? There's no path. Path that everyone should follow. And so you have to look at like, maybe it's doing shows, maybe it's doing trade shows and wholesale. Maybe it's trying to build your Instagram platform or your Pinterest platform or, you know, whatever it is, figuring out who the audience is for your work and what's the best way to connect with them. And that's going to look different for every business. So just because of kind of a lot of the people that I work with do end up very much going, you know, the trade show route or the wholesale route because it is a really kind of consistent way to build revenue. But then I also have, you know, friends and students who are really full on into retail shows. I have people who have built amazing businesses off of Instagram. So really my goal for me is not to create cookie cutter businesses of my business. It's to help everyone figure out, okay, this is the product I make. This is who's going to buy it. And these are the best ways to reach them and have a profitable business. I think that's so important because creating an exact replica of your business isn't gonna work for everyone. One, exactly. and like, they're not you <laughs> and they don't have your business. So I think that knowing how to do the things that, similar things that you do in your business and making wise decisions based on you know your life circumstances, maybe your financial circumstances, whatever it ends up being. I think that's really refreshing for people to hear that there's not one chosen path and you have to follow Megan Almond's path or, <laughs> right. path or whatever it is, right? There's a lot of different options. So what are some ways that you would encourage people to, I don't know, figure out what the path is if they are a maker or if they're, you know, still developing their craft and they want to build this business? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of try it and see. And I think that's true for everybody. You know, I think one of the things that people do is they tend to overthink, right? Like you, like I'm going to sit here and I'm going to figure out, okay, this is my ideal customer. And I'm going to like map out this whole plan. And like, you really can't, like you can't think your way into a successful business. The only way you can really figure out what works is to get out into the marketplace and test and try and see. And so I think that in the beginning, it's really easy to be like, okay, well, I'm going to just default to, I'm going to try to sell online. I'm going to try to use social media to grow my audience because it's easy and it's inexpensive. And so I think that's kind of where everyone sort of defaults to first. Um, and for some people that works. So like, if that's where you feel comfortable, start it, do it, kind of go that route. But if it seems like, you know what, this is just not working for me, that's okay. Then that's when you have to go out there and think about other things, like thinking about trying some craft shows, whether those are just local craft shows or trying you know, a trade show. I would never recommend that anyone try a trade show before they've done an inexpensive, <laughs> a couple of inexpensive craft shows because trade shows are just very expensive. And so I think, you know, and what I love about whether that's retail shows or trade shows is that 
you get valuable customer feedback that you're never going to get online. You can post stuff on social media all day long. You can post things to Etsy, but there is nothing like standing in the presence of other people and hearing them interact with your product and watching them interact with your product. I always like to joke that it's like when you're in your booth at a show, people think that like the, the invisible line between you and them is somehow like soundproof, right? Like they'll, they'll make comments to their friends and you're like, you know, I can hear you. Right. But at the same time, you know, so you have to have a little bit of a thick skin because sometimes people say things that you're like, man, like that just made me feel like, Oh, just, you know, it's easy to spiral. But more often than not, you get really, really interesting feedback. I mean, I was literally just at a show in New York and talking to one of my buyers and I've been working a lot with stones and I was doing these pieces that are just, you know, a single stone is like a pendant. And then I was doing these necklaces that had like five stones. And then I was doing necklaces where the stones went all the way around. And one of my buyers looked at the five stone pieces and he was like, why aren't you doing any with three? And I was like, oh yeah, right. Because three would like be a middle price point between one and five, but it would still give you the effect of five. Like, duh, why not? And it was like literally standing there with someone else and having them look at my line and say, you know what, this is a missing opportunity. And so that was a, you know, a really direct example of that. And so of course I went home and the first thing I did was make a three stone necklace. I was like, yes, absolutely. Like I'm doing it. But even just like, you'll hear things like I remember I used to make mostly earrings for some weird reason. And literally people would walk up to my booth at a show and they would look at my chest and be like, why aren't you wearing any jewelry? And I was like, but no, no, I am. And they're like, but they didn't see it because they were looking for necklaces. So I was like, okay, well, I need necklaces. And now necklaces are my best seller by far. They outsell every other category. And so just that kind of feedback that you get from interacting with people can tell you so much about your business. And it doesn't, this doesn't just apply to maker. I mean, Tara Gentile is a really good friend of mine and she always talks about like the living room strategy of like getting in there and interacting with your clients. And I think it's just so important to talk to humans to get that feedback because that's what's going to accelerate your business forward in a way that like putting your, your shingle up online and just waiting, that's never gonna get you that kind of feedback. I wanna revisit something you said, Megan. You were talking about how you don't recommend that people just jump right into the booth scene. And I, unfortunately, I feel like, first of all, if I had a dollar for everybody that said, oh, I just need to update my website and then things are going to change, you know, or some version of that. But, you know, it's interesting because in the maker world, the booth is kind of like the website thing. It's like, oh, when I can start doing shows, then I'm going to be successful. And there's this myth that your presence, like just the fact that you have checked off all the boxes and crossed all your I's and crossed all your T's, dotted all your I's, that that's going to be what sets you apart. And that's when you're finally going to make it. And this is what people, including myself, you guys listening out there, I'm not exempt from this, have hidden behind. I see it all the time because I have a separate company, a law firm where I, I file trademarks. And I see so many people that just want to get a trademark to feel legitimate. And like, that's going to be the thing that sets them over the edge. I don't take those people on as clients because you need, it's what you're talking about. Like you cannot watch YouTube videos about how to ride a bike and then get out there and you're going to fall on your face if that's your first time. But you can get really good at riding a bike by practicing. And I just really wanted to revisit this and like, just get your take on if somebody's out there and they're like, 
oh, but you don't understand, Christina. Like you just have to, my, my website just has to be better. And then I'm going to start selling more. I just need better pictures for Etsy. And then everything's going to be perfect. Like where's the disconnect? Like what encouragement do you have? Because that's just a fear block that's stopping them. It's not actually a crappy website. It's not actually the fact that they don't have a booth. So what do you say to those people, Megan? Yeah. You know, I think the first thing is like, I think you're right. There is a fear block there that just hold people back of like, well, like when the website's perfect, you know, that's going to solve everything. Or, you know, like when I have the booth design figured out, like it's going to be perfect. And I think that first of all, all of business is a learning process, right? Everything is learning. And so the only way to learn in business, and I say this as a business educator, as someone who literally teaches people (laughs) for part of my living, the only way to learn in business is to go out there to try something and to reflect on what happened and make changes. And I think so that is kind of the first piece is you have to put things out there. And But the, the nice thing about that is that you can put things out there that suck because your job is just to put it out there and revisit it. And so in my class, How to Sell Your Products to Retailers, I show a picture of my first trade show booth and it's horrifying, like straight up horrifying. It's the most embarrassing thing. And I show that because you know what? I went to the show and I did it anyway and I got orders and like I did the thing and then you evolve over time. So I think that's the first piece. But I also think the second piece is that you have to take responsibility for that learning process in your business and for the improvement. So I always say, you know, like with the booth thing, I always tell people like it's the show's job to get people to the door. It's your job to get them to your booth and to make sales. And you can't rely on the show to do that. And so you have to think about, okay, like people may be coming to the show, but how do I grab their attention? How do I bring them in? What's the sales process? Um, The other one that I hear from people all the time is they're like, well, I think I just need to hire a sales rep. And then like, that's going to solve everything. I'm like, well, first of all, a sales rep is not going to take you on until you have established some established stores already. And if you can figure out how to get into those stores yourself, then you don't need the sales rep anyway. It's like, like you're putting the cart before the horse there. And so I think it's one of those where you're like, okay, so like, yes, will I have an opportunity to make money if I have this booth at XYZ show? Absolutely. But just going there and setting up is not enough. And you have to think about the learning process and like design process and the sales process. I spend so much time when I'm at shows observing. If I'm not actively selling, I'm observing. How do people flow through the space? What do they stop at? What catches their eye? And that's such an important part of the learning process that people, I think, don't think about. So my husband is actually a volleyball coach, and he always talks about how it really drives him nuts when the kids he coaches, they're not paying attention to other games. Because he's like, look, I'm good at volleyball. Yes, I've been playing for you know 20 plus years, but he's like, I'm good at volleyball because I watch a lot of volleyball and I watch where it comes out. And for me, I think that's the same thing. I'm good at selling my product and I'm good at shows because I watch people and I observe and I make changes. Oh, like they're coming this way. Okay, we're going to rearrange the booth. I'm not above rearranging the booth in the middle of a show. Because here's the other thing. The show's not over until it's over, right? Nothing is over until it's over. So if it's not working in the middle of the show, move stuff around, right? Like zhuzh it up, do something different. And so I think the same thing, right? If it's not working, you have to change it. But back to kind of your original point, Christina, is the other thing is that you can't assume that anything in business is one and done. Well, if I just do this one thing, right, then it's going to solve all the problems. If I can just crack 
social media, or if I can just get the trademark, or I can just get into this one show, it's going to solve all the problems. There is no one magic bullet. And I think the sooner you realize that, it saves you like years of frustration because you're like, oh, well, everyone else just must have figured out the trick and I didn't. You know what the trick is? It's hard work. It's putting yourself out there again and again and again. And it's all the little things. You mean, it's not one booth, one show, one website, one thing. It's like every little tiny thing that you do every day and it adds up. And that's the people who are successful. It's not because they found the magic bullet. It's because they figured out how to like juggle the 7 million balls that you have to juggle to actually make it work. It reminds me of like middle school when there's like a cumulative, you know, grading process instead of like one final and that's all you get, right? <laughs> right. If you have to do the, turn in your assignment and then do the quiz and then there's like a midterm and then there's like the final or whatever. I feel like that to me came to mind when you were talking about like, you have to do all the pieces, the small pieces to get to the, the quote unquote success, I guess. Yeah. Than it just being one and done. That's super refreshing. And like, I think we need this reminder. I need this reminder. <laughs> constantly that you can't just buy a course and be done or you can't just hire somebody like a sales rep and have it all figured out. And I think it's nice to have that reminder that you're on the right track as long as you keep going and you keep working hard. Yeah. And I think the other thing to remember too, is that we are in this world right now where like nobody has it figured out. Like the internet is literally changing by the minute. You're like, you're basically trying to build your business on like quicksand, right? You're like, I got this figured out. And then all of a sudden, you know, Instagram changes the algorithm or whatever happens. And you're like, wait a second, but like this worked and that didn't. And then on top of that, also, if you're a creative human being, what you might be doing changes, right? So like you might have been making work that appeals to like one market and one buyer and one thing. And then you're like, you know what? Okay, now I'm evolving. And then so then this appeals to somebody different and you have to move in a different direction, which is why I also think, you know, back to our original point about you can't follow somebody else's blueprint, right? You can't follow someone else's blueprint because they're evolving as their business evolves and as their ideas evolve. And so if you're like, oh, well, I saw that last year, Megan did a bunch of trade shows. And then this year she took trade shows off and now she She's retail shows. So like, clearly that must mean that retail shows are the answer. No, it means that's what I'm trying for my business. And maybe you should try it for yours, but it's not a guarantee. Something I was going to ask you about is I've been following you for a while and just like the products that you've created and it's been really fascinating to see. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about how you produce your collections, how you get your ideas and then how you kind of shift gears in the way that you create your products? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because I've gone through a lot of, a lot of different types of products and a lot of different iterations and a lot of different ways that my business looks in terms of who is making the product. And so when I started, it was me making everything myself and the production line that I was doing really evolved out of the work that I was doing in grad school. And so I, it's funny because I always tell people, if you do have the fortune to go to art school. Art school is a luxury. Like I'm going to just be real, real about that. And if, but if you have that luxury, take advantage of it and like make the crazy stuff. You have the rest of your life to make stuff that requires you to make money. So if you're in a position where you don't have to make money from your art, whether that's because you're in school or because you have a day job and you have the crazy ideas, like make the crazy ideas because the crazy ideas then give you all of this fodder and inspiration to make the stuff that's a little bit more marketable, right? So 
the, my original production jewelry line all evolved out of this sculpture that I was doing in grad school. And so the shapes that I was using and the materials and the forms all evolved out of that work that I was doing. And I wouldn't be making the production line that I'm making today if I hadn't gone to grad school. So for me, a lot of kind of the ideas just come from like the iteration and the evolving of things that I've been making and interested in for now well over a decade. But I've gone through kind of different versions of, in the beginning, I was making everything. And then I went through a time period where I designed a couple of product lines that I wanted to have manufactured because I thought like, okay, well, that seems like a smart move, right? Like maybe I shouldn't be the one in here making product every day. Maybe I should design some manufactured things. And those had varying levels of success. And then for a while, I actually had an employee who was doing the bulk of my production work for me. So she was making the majority of my jewelry. And what I realized in that time period was that if I wasn't making the jewelry, I wasn't designing jewelry. I'm not the kind of designer who sits down and sketches out ideas for the next collection. I'm the kind of designer who's like, let's lay out all the things on my table and, and react and respond to them. And so I think when, again, back to that kind of thing of like, well, I see this person doing X, so I should do X. And I think the best kind of creative business owners are the ones who say, okay, well, like what's my process and what works for me? And so for me, it's really been this thing of like, okay, evaluating, you know what? Like I am the most creative and the best at designing for my business when I'm the one doing the work, when I'm the one actually sitting in there and making production. And what that means is that I'm going to spend a lot of my time making, which I'm okay with. I didn't go to school for seven years to not spend a lot of my time making, but it also means I have to be smart and strategic about getting the other stuff done in my business, right? I only have so many hours a day. So like, what are the best ways to leverage marketing so that I can spend most of my time in my studio making work? And so for me, really the new ideas and the new creativity comes from a, making the work, and then as I was talking about, getting the work out into the world and seeing how people respond. And those two things are really like the two pieces that kind of inspire my work. It's like make the work, see how people respond, make more work, see how people respond and kind of move that way. And of course, you know, sometimes you look for inspiration. I'm a big fan of traveling. I love to travel. And actually my current line working with stones came out of a trip I took to India. So a couple of years ago, I actually went to do a block printing workshop in India because I do believe in trying other creative processes, getting other creative inspiration. So I took a block printing workshop in India. And while I was there, I was like, well, let's just do a little gem shopping because Jaipur is basically the capital, like it's like the gem capital of the world. Everyone thinks of it as like the block print capital of the world. And it kind of is, but it's also pretty much the gem capital of the world. So I like walked into a shop and I was like, you know, what are these stones that are like these black and white stones that are in my shape? Like I have to have them. But I also think it's important to kind of tell the flip side of that story because I always tell it that way of like, I saw these stones and I had them. And I did buy them and I brought them home and they literally sat on my workbench for six months while I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with these, but they're going to sit here and I'm going to think about it. And while I'm thinking about it, I'm just going to keep making my other work. And I think that's the important thing is like, you might have an idea or something like, okay, I know I want my business to go here in the future, but again, you can't think your way into that. So like, while I'm thinking about this is where I want my business to go in the future, I'm over here, I'm doing the work in the present. I'm making the work, you know, getting it out in the world. And so I think that's the thing is so important to remember is like, just even if all you have is an hour a day, an hour a day is so important to like do the work of your business, whatever that work looks like in your business, you're better off doing something than sitting there trying to overthink it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the women that we've had on the show a few times, Bonnie Forkner, who's another creative live teacher. She very early on, I, I mean, we've been friends for many, many years at this point. It's crazy. She very early on said, 
one thing that really stuck with me throughout my career so far, which is just do one thing every single day, at least one thing, right? Like some days you do 10 things, some days you do one thing. And that's really helped me because in the winter, I usually have, I don't right now because I'm in Colorado this winter and there's 300 days of sunshine. It's amazing. But most winters I have seasonal affective disorder and there's just some days that I do not feel like doing anything. Like I don't want to open email. I don't want to get on Instagram. I'm just, you know, it's bad. So that has always been the resonant voice in the back. And it's, it's something that it sounds like you're embracing. So like, even on the days when I feel like I cannot even just show up for anybody today, I'm at least getting on creative live and going through one module of somebody's course, or, you know, just mapping something out on beautiful stationery that feels good to me, even if it never sees the light of day. So I think it's really important to heed Megan's advice listeners. And just if that's all you have is like 20 minutes, an hour, your drive to your nine to five job right now, and you're listening to this podcast, like that's something that you're doing to move the needle on your business right now today. So one thing that you also said that was really important was like, it grows bit by bit. And I've seen this with a lot of Instagram influencers because all of a sudden we all hear about, you know, Hillary Rushford or Jenna Kutcher or whatever. And we're like, wow, look at how many followers they have. And it's interesting because actually Boho Berry, I remember, I don't think I met her, but like, I remember seeing her somewhere. And at the time she had like, you know, just a couple thousand Instagram followers or something. And now she's got several hundred thousand. And it goes back to what exactly you're talking about, Megan. Like everybody wants the quick win, the silver bullet, but like Boho Berry on Instagram, her following was built person by person. And so sure, some days she probably gets a hundred new followers. Some days she gets two new followers, like whatever it is, but that little following builds up over time. So it's just the accumulation that we're all seeing not all the little tiny baby steps that it took to get there. Like not the time that you like forgot something in the storage unit at one of your shows and had to go back and get it. Or like not the time that your kid, but like not the time that somebody got sick and you had to take care of them. And you know, that set your business back a day. So we're seeing the cumulative effect. We're not seeing like these little tiny things that are pushing us forward. Well, actually this is something I've wanted to ask you since this interview started is how have you seen things shift and change in the last like 10 or so years in this industry? Because it's different. And one of the, I try to be an advocate for like our new listeners out there and play devil's advocate. They, I know are coming to this conversation and they're saying, that's great for Megan. She's been doing this a long time, but I'm just starting out. I'm not going to have the same success because the market's saturated now. And it wasn't when she started. So how do you help somebody out of that situation? Yeah. You know, first of all, I think the thing is like, it's so easy to look and say, well, like it had to have been easier when so-and-so started, right? Like it, it had to have been easier. I mean, and I know I did it in my business. So like I started doing trade shows in 2008. I'd been running my business for a couple of years kind of before that I sort of made a slow transition out of grad school, but I started doing trade shows in 2008. And I remember my, the next year, 2009, I moved to a bigger booth and a different section in, in the New York gift show, spent like 10 grand on my booth. And that was the height of the recession. And you could literally like roll bowling balls down the aisle in the middle of the trade show. Like it was like crickets. So I think it's really easy to be like, well, it had to have been easier back then. And I know I was being like, oh man, all my friends that started in the nineties, like it was so much easier for them. And so it's really easy to kind of play that game. And I think the thing is, you know, things have shifted. So I remember when I started and in 2006, I started blogging under my own name because I was like, well, that's what people are doing. So that must be like a way to promote my 
my product. And I remember at the time, like in, in my industry, in kind of the art jewelry world, having to convince people that like blogs were important and that like, I remember being like web 2.0, no one was even calling it social media yet. Like it was this thing. And so I think, and then over time, suddenly it was like, oh, well now there's Instagram and now there's Pinterest and now there's Facebook and now there are all of these things. And I think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the tools are. What matters is like figuring out who your customers are and where the best way to connect with them in. Because at the end of the day, an algorithm is not buying your products or your services. A person is buying your products and services. And so the most important thing is figuring out where those people are and what's going to get them to buy. And so when you start worrying about things like, oh my gosh, like the Instagram algorithm, how do I, how do I figure this out? Or like, how do I get a million followers? It doesn't matter if those million followers are the wrong people or they're not willing to, you know, get out the credit card. And so really, I think it comes back down to like, how do I get my work out there? And yes, take advantage of the new opportunities. I freaking love Instagram. Well, some days I love Instagram. Some days I want to like throw my phone across. <laughs> Let's just be really honest about that. Some days I'm like, this is the best platform ever. Some days it makes me angry. You know, I love Pinterest. When Pinterest came out, I was like, oh my God, finally someone on the internet understands visual people. Like that was literally my thought process. You know, that didn't exist when I started my business. But just because these things exist doesn't mean that like they're the, again, the quick fix. And I think the other thing is like, it's so easy to say, right? The market is whatever market you're in, like is so saturated. Everyone always says that. It's always like, like everybody makes jewelry, like, like I'm just another jeweler. But you know what? Everybody does everything. And the reason you think your market is saturated is because you're paying attention to your market, right? You're paying attention to what's happening there. And so of course you think it's saturated. And in some ways it is a challenge because you're competing with everybody, right? In the old days, business was local. You were competing in your local area. And now like the theory is you're competing with everyone. But ultimately that's actually more of an opportunity because if the people who love your work and buy your work weren't local, you couldn't do this. Like my work doesn't sell great in my local market. It's just never been my people. I, I live where I live. I live out in the country in Pennsylvania. I live here because it's cheap and that's where my family's from and where my husband's family's from. But it's not my people for my work. And if I had to just sell in my local market, I would be screwed. But so my business has always been about finding the people. That's why I started doing trade shows, right? I could go to trade shows. I could meet stores from other areas. And those are the people that connect me to the end user. Now, maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's Pinterest, whatever it is. So to me, it's even better now there's more opportunity. And so you have even more choices and more ways to kind of figure this out. Yeah, because as what you're saying is as your competition pool grows, right, because there's so many other people in the industry, also your customer base grows too exponentially from like your local community. So I love that perspective. We typically just think about, oh my gosh, there's so many other people competing and forget about all the people who are also thinking of buying too. So right. great point there. I just want to shift gears for just a second before we end this conversation because it's been so great. Tell us a little bit about what your, something that we really love about the work that you're doing is like the content creation, the visual content creation. And that's something that people really struggle with. I mean, in the conversation of Instagram, in the conversation of like, what do I continue to put out there in front of my people? How do you do that work? And how do you start thinking about this as like, I'm creating like a visual content strategy? Yeah. You know, so I think first of all, you know, it's funny because I always talk about this idea that I think like artists and makers and visual people, like we have it easier because like our visual content strategy is 
our work. And so in some ways we do, but what's interesting is I read this quote online just the other day that was like, they said, when an artist shows you their work, it's not bragging. They're actually showing you a piece of their heart. And I was like, oh, right. This is actually why artists and makers have such a hard time sharing their own work on Instagram. A, because we, it feels like you kind of have this cultural thing of like, oh, well, if I'm just always sharing my own work, like that must be braggy. So you're like, okay, that's a problem. But then at the same time to show your work constantly, it makes you really vulnerable because it's like, okay, I put this thing out here and like, and do people like it? And, and do people, is it going to get likes? Is it going to kill me in the algorithm? <laughs> and so, you know, I think it's a really nerve wracking thing, but I think at the end of the day, you know, the visual content creation is just another way to connect with and find the right people. And so if the right way to approach visual content creation in any industry is like, what is the thing that I'm selling and what is the visual representation of that? Because if you're selling business advice and you've built up a really pretty Instagram following for pictures of flowers, those people don't care about your business advice, right? So you have to think about what it is I'm selling, what's the visual representation of that, and how do I get people excited about that? And of course, as a maker, it's really easy, right? Like, here's my product, here's my product, here's my product. And of course, where I think people kind of struggle is like they do the, here's my product, here's my product, here's my product, and then they try to sell it with every image because they think that's what they're supposed to do. And whereas I take this approach where it's like, here's the picture of my product and like, here's what's going on with my day so that you know that I'm a real human and not just like, go buy my thing. I'm not a used car salesman. And so I think that you have to kind of think about what's the best visual I can put out there and then how can I talk about it in a way that makes me sound like a human? And that I think is really the strategy that I try to take with everything. And it's a little bit different, right? Like I write differently for Instagram than I do on my blog than I do on Pinterest because, you know, on Instagram, it's like literally about the human connection and then like trying to figure out what hashtags you should be using. Whereas like on my blog, on Pinterest, it's really about like, what would my customer be searching for that would lead them to this image or lead them to this post? And so you, you have to kind of start to think about each platform differently. But at the end of the day, it's like, what is the best visual representation of me? And then how do I remind people that I am in fact a human? And then, oh yeah, I have things to sell too. Because you can't ignore that part, right? If you're, if you're not talking about that you have things to sell, you're not going to make any money. But it can't feel like the first thing that you're saying because then people are not going to follow you and engage in the first place. And it's so interesting what you're saying about Instagram. It's, it's funny because I'm getting more and more attorneys that are contacting me and they're like, how do you do what you do? You live in Atlanta and Colorado and you have this podcast and like, what's happening over here? You know, I don't have like that typical big firm, like hate my life type thing happening. So but I'm getting a lot of inquiries lately. And it's interesting because we forget in the creative industry how new and like different Instagram is as a platform as compared to like Facebook, which has been around a lot longer or Pinterest that people are more familiar with in say like the home redecorating sphere. I mean, almost everybody has used Facebook and Pinterest, but not everybody has jumped onto Snapchat or Instagram. And it is it's really interesting because they all immediately gravitate. I don't know if this is like a new Pinterest Instagram user thing or like attorney thing or whatever, but like they all gravitate towards like, oh, if I'm not promotional, no one's going to see my stuff and then they're not going to like engage. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like Instagram is this personal platform where you just are yourself. And if people like you, they follow you and click on your stuff. Like it's not this place for you to be like, hello, hello, I'm in your face and buy my thing. And I have this new podcast episode and here I am, which is like the mistake that I see everybody making when they first get on. And it's it so really, funny. I think if you can think about 
Instagram like a networking event versus like a social media platform, right? So like, yeah. so if you went up to someone in a networking event and people do this, okay? So like, I'm sure the people who are doing this on Instagram <laughs> are doing it at networking events too. They're like, hi, I'm a lawyer. And let me tell you five ways why you need my services. Like you've met those people at networking events and you're like, and you politely take the card and then you like shove it in the bottom of your purse and then you throw it away later, right? And so I think like, if you can think about Instagram in the same way. Like this is not about like, Hey, buy my thing all the time. Like this is my opportunity to network and connect with other people. And so like, if you approach it that way, like and the same thing, even with like hashtags, people are like, well, what hashtag should I be using to get found? And I'm like, that's the wrong question. The right question is what hashtag should you be using to find and engage with your ideal customer? And so if you can flip that, which actually now it's easier because now Instagram lets you follow hashtags. So I'm like, cool. My people are using these hashtags. I'm going to follow those hashtags and I'm going to interact with them as a human being. <laughs> that's how you grow. And that's how you find new customers. And I think that's the other thing is, again, like we think about it as this magic bullet, but if you're thinking about it as a networking strategy of a connecting with humans networking strategy, it takes longer. So I think that's also important to understand. Like if you're going to do the work the right way, it's going to take a little longer. And so if you're not prepared to do the work on the platform the right way, it might not be the platform for you, right? Then maybe you should be at shows or maybe you did find that shoving your cards down people's faces at real networking events works. I don't know. Maybe it works for somebody. They keep doing it. Um, but you know, figuring out if what it platform or plat, I say platform, and I'm not just talking about digital platforms here, but like what ways to connect and interact with your customers, are you going to enjoy putting the time in? Like I put the time in on Instagram because I really like Instagram, right? Like I like connecting with people. I like connecting with humans. The same thing with Pinterest. I use it for completely different reasons but I like being on that platform. And so I think that's the thing. If you don't enjoy spending time there, figure out a way to connect with your customers that you're actually going to like. So good. So good. I feel like the, that human connection is just so important for any business that you're running. And I think it's just a great note to end on. So before we wrap it up, we have one final question for you. So as we're looking into your next adventure and your creative empire in the future, what do you see for yourself? Yeah. You know, for me, I really think it's thinking about how I can think of, go back to thinking about my jewelry more as art and giving myself that kind of space and permission to create art, which then for me means figuring out how do I find the people that are going to value it as art and pay for it as art and appreciate it as art. And so I think it's going to look a lot of different ways. You know, I'm thinking about retail shows, but I think that new platforms are always evolving on the internet. One of the platforms, we haven't talked about it, but I think is really interesting and I'm still trying to figure out how I can use it in my business is Patreon. I think there's some really cool stuff happening on there. If you aren't familiar with that, it's basically thinking about like how to take patronage into the 21st century for creatives, really fascinating platform. So I have no idea if or how or when I'm going to use it, but that is for me definitely the next thing on my radar that I'm looking at because again, it's always evolving and it's always changing. That's very cool. I hadn't heard about it. So I haven't it either. Out. I don't know. even know how to find this. I'm not finding it on Google. It looks like it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Yes. Yeah. Patreon. And I mean, I have to say like, just as a little personal plug, if I plan on using it for my platform, I will definitely be emailing my email list about it. So yeah, well, tell us where they can sign up for that. Yeah. So, you know, if you're interested in my jewelry and kind of seeing what's on that business, you can go to meganalman.com and sign up there. But if you want to kind of know what's happening with the business teaching side, you can go to designing and and sign up for those there. And as I mentioned, I love Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram, I'm at Megan Almond, and literally like all the links to all my life are in my Instagram. 
Instagram profile. Can you just spell your your last? Just spell Megan. And- yep, it's Megan M E G A N, and then Amon is A U M A N. So nice and short and sweet. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on today, Megan. For those of you listening out there, go take some simple action today that builds your creative empire. Are you ready to build your own empire? For more information, show notes, downloads, and tips on how to do it, head to www.creativeempire.co, where you can find out more about this week's episode and the two lovely ladies behind it all, encouraging you to build your own creative empire. If you enjoyed this week's show, it would mean so much to Raina and Christina if you could take two minutes to go to iTunes and leave a review. It's a little thing that makes a big difference for the show. 